Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. That's it. It's that time of the week. Bringing us this week's movies, wines and showbiz news. I'm joined by Esther McCarthy, Leslie Williams and Paul Ryder. Good afternoon to you all. Good, Good afternoon. afternoon. Happy Hi. Friday. I saw you there, Leslie, nodding yes. away when I said that uh, St. Bridget was a brewer in Kildare. Uh, she famously turned her bathwater into beer. Uh, she turned milk into beer. She had brewed enough beer for 18 churches and several monasteries. She was an absolute powerhouse when it came to beer. But there is it actual beer or is it sort of like a water into wine well, situation? No, no, well, no, she brew, was a brew, famously as a brewer as well. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, no. Um, uh, in fact, there's a, a beer named after her. Uh, because There's a few beers named after her. And there's two sisters in Kildare, the Boyle sisters, made a beer um, because they're from Kildare and they wanted to introduced and they reckon she would have been using honey so they used honey in their beer as well it was just a small batch they have, they have, they've yet to make another one Susan's off in Paris at the minute so she, other than, she needs to come back to make some more beer there's Adrian Heslin one of our best brewers in the whole country down making beer in Bjorkirkaguina in Ballyferter near Dingle She's, her beers are amazing um, and you can get them from the bar um, on draft you can get them at Bottle in the likes of Redmond's and she's, there's a few others there's Gronia from Metalman but she's kind of she's retired now but she, she might come back at some point um, so say, Bridget, I thought yeah. she was just the girl with the crosses. Yeah. No, cra- she was a party girl. There's a poem about her organising beer for everybody and for God as well and a lake of beer and we'll all have, have fun and basically we will, um, every drop we drink will be a prayer. Typical, <laughs> typical Irish woman. <laughs> Paul, what are we going to say there? Is craft beer more alcoholic based? I've always found, because you know when you go on holidays you're, you're, more enti- you're more inclined to like try a craft beer rather than kind of something out of the pump but you always feel a bit, more, I always feel a bit more tipsy after like one um, I'm kind of going, oh Lord. So yes and no. I mean there's a big trend among craft brewers to brew sort of 8-9% because there's a tradition in Belgium of doing that and, and making doubles and triples and so on and you can get kind of but they're not really for sculling they're for sipping okay. well, That's <laughs> but, where I'm making my mistakes But there's <laughs> a whole uh, tradition now of um, I should be talking about this this is Dean's subject not mine but anyway We're uh, going to move on to wines uh, in a second yeah, Sorry uh, no, right, uh, But uh, there's a whole tradition of, um, of, of session beers which are 3-4% and that's actually what um, all brewers these days are making a session beer and there's some excellent ones. Okay. Um, Little Fawn from White Hag comes to mind. Tell us about the wines though because so, that's right, so wines we are today. in Germany today and yes. I have, in my view, the best non-alcohol wine that exists uh, in the country. Well, certainly one of the best ones that I've tasted okay. and one of the very few that I would actually think tastes like wine. Most non-alcohol wines don't really taste of wine. This, the, the process by which they make this keeps a lot of the flavour. So Very good. Easy. And Esther, you're going to talk to us about some movies. What are we talking about today? Yes, I am. First of all, I feel like a connection to St. Bridget now that I never knew existed. So thanks for that, Leslie. <laughs> <You're welcome>. um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, we've two great, I suppose, filmmaking conundrums today. Um, how do you take a mad, wild premise and set it in a horror setting that feels real and immediate and creepy? Um, no better filmmaker than Jordan Peele for doing that and we've got his latest um, which is called Nope and the other great conundrum I suppose is um, Ron Howard's 13 Lives which is about the story of the Thai cave rescue from a few years ago that the whole world pretty Mm -hmm. much watched Stephanie so everyone knows the outcome of it and the fact that he's managed to tell the story and have you like white knuckling your way through the whole thing is really, really great old school filmmaking, I think. So we'll talk a little bit more about both of those. Fab, Paul, you're nodding your head here. Have you seen Nope? 
horror. I've not seen, no, no, I couldn't go. There was a premiere that happened last week and I couldn't go and I was raging because I'm a massive horror fan. Right. Um, and anything that Jordan, Jordan Peele does, I'm always obsessed with it. So I'm dying to get in to see this. But so you're, you're happy to go the even though you're not going to the premiere? Uh, even though I'm happy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, happy absolutely. to pay for a ticket. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, I thought Esther was going to say X there because I watched X this week, which is another horror film, but it's, and it's, it's creepy, but weird, but very kind of Jordan Peele, but not. Have you seen The Black Phone? Yes. Yeah, it's very good. Very good. But also more thriller-esque rather than I found, rather than horror-horror. I kind yeah. of felt it a bit more um, thriller-esque, but I loved it. And Esther, I, did you see that one? Did you see The Black Phone? I haven't yet, but I think it's a very exciting time for horror. Thank God, by the way. Supernatural thrillers or whatever you want to call them. Because there's been kind a run of, of really bad ones. There was it was such a bad era for them a mm-hmm. few years ago, and they became just gore fests and had nothing to say. But I think with filmmakers the likes of Jordan Peele and 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 you know the the filmmaker who made um, Midsummer, uh, they're taking genre and bringing really interesting stories into it. And I think even our own filmmakers here, there was an Irish film a few years ago called The Hole in the Ground, which um, brought kind of Irish folklore into the storytelling. And I think it's a really really interesting time um, for horror and thriller filmmakers I think they're pushing the boundaries in really interesting ways and Esther I even feel like Bloomhouse who obviously were part of that kind of that gore fest and that kind of thing where they were just you know throwing a lot of blood at it or throwing like a, a, a possessed nun into every single thing that they were doing I even think that they're kind of angling to a bit better horror because they were behind the black phone the black phone yeah which was really, yeah. really and I was yeah. so shocked because I expected something with the black phone because it being Bloomhouse and kind of that, that that how they had gone for a couple of years and when I walked in I went oh my god it's a totally fresh take on what I had been seeing in, in yeah, the past couple of really years it felt really like sort of back to that sort of 90s noughties the horror films that you would have watched kind of growing up and been like oh this is really really satisfying so a welcome change but not the only change you have a showbiz story for us today about yeah, Netflix um, uh, this has been on the cards for quite quite some time. Um, it's now been revealed that Disney have surpassed their streaming rival Netflix in the total number of subscribers for the very first time, which uh, the company's just kind of reported. Now, for a while there, we kind of knew that Netflix was kind of waning. The, the content wasn't really kind of up to par and people were complaining about price changes and price hikes. And now Disney Plus have surpassed Netflix, who they've maintained 221 million of us have been subscribing compared to 200, just under, like it's 220 million. It's still a lot of people, you know, paying the 13 euro a month for Netflix. Yeah. But Disney have now completely surpassed that. Um, and Netflix are kind of waning behind. I do feel like there could be something in the in the midst with Netflix to kind of say, right, look, we really need to... I think this is really up. good news because I feel like Netflix have really dropped the ball. Like for so long... Netflix was just so standard but because we have this sort of like binge content where like you watch all of a whole season in one night you're sort of more forgiving of it because it's like okay well it was only one evening of my life but still like so much of it is mediocre and the problem there is is because like everything Netflix was always just the one we went to Netflix if it was added on Netflix we went to it we weren't paying you know five six quid to rent a film on Apple TV or anything like that whereas now Apple TV are, are providing amazing content you've got Disney Plus who are really amping it up at the first we were all like oh, yeah, if I wanted to watch the Jungle Book like I'd rent it or buy it on the DVD for the kids yeah. whereas now there's so much difference and so much kind of scope is what they have now we've just got Paramount Plus so there's so much to choose from we are kind of kids in candy stores and I feel with Netflix their biggest fault was throwing an N on it 
and going I, that we own that now Netflix original too. whereas like that's been made by somebody else maybe Esther can shine a light on that it might have been made by another company but they've just slapped the end on they it and gone it, yeah. that's ours sure look at uh, weird weird analogy but RuPaul's Drag Race at the start it always was like a Netflix production and it's like no it's not it's a World mm. of Wonder production but it's just they've bought it and they've sold the rights so it's kind of like branded clothes it's so weird you don't want to wear something that has the brand covered all over all it over. and I feel like Netflix is kind of the same whereas Disney Plus you're watching the good films you're watching the new stuff Apple TV are like killing it with really really good content slow release and slow they're not hitting it out every week but you're you're glued you're stuck and look Disney Plus they've, they've added 14 point something million viewers or subscribers I wonder in, in the next people, quarter Esther what do you think about this I wonder will people like say oh there's a new series on Netflix oh another one has dropped maybe I'll wait another two months and then I'll get Netflix for a month and I'll watch all that and then I'll go back to Paramount Plus and I'll watch all that do you think that that's the way it's going to go? I think like I think it's it's a repeat of the DVD stores it's a repeat of the studios you know it's these things have always you know someone's eventually going to eat up the other one Disney's going to buy Pixar or Fox or whatever, you know, Uh the the current models are unsustainable. I think it's a really exciting time for filmmakers, though, because the streamer wars mean there's never been more production in Ireland. But I think eventually you're going to see, like, I think Paramount Plus is in a deal with Sky now for Irish subscribers that you get access to that content if you're a Sky subscriber. So they're going to have to give added value to customers, especially the winter we're facing in terms of bills and subscriptions. And I think you're going to see maybe a lot more pooling of resources or like what you said there's definitely people getting savvy and going yeah, want to watch that I'll subscribe for a month you and know? that's no bad thing we've got some texts in saying um, why do they remake Scream again what a waste of time excited for something innovative from Jordan Peele I actually really enjoyed Scream sorry can I just point out there I'm the biggest Scream fan known to man like absolutely and I disagree with that I want that person's number and their address <laughs> and I will visit their house at the end of this <laughs> well that's horrifying <laughs> and another text message from Declan Joke. that says the black, fen- the black phone was serious creepy I'm also amazed at how versatile Ethan Hawke is so that is the horror movies let us know your thoughts on that but we're going to now move to the booze Okay, so yes, so our first one today is called Einswei Zero. It's a German wine. It is from the Rheingau, from Joseph Leitz. Sorry, Johannes Leitz. Um, Since 1744, the family have been making it. Have a smell. Doesn't it smell pretty much? It smells like Red fruit and citrus and a bit of character. There's a tiny bit of spritz in it. Um, The alcohol is removed through um, a cold vacuum distillation, a cool vacuum distillation. I'm not really really sure you understand this, but it's a different system to boiling it, which is what most of them do. Right. Um, And so this actually removes 0.0 Zero point zero. Because like, some of the alcohols are like zero point two, yeah, but this is that would be absolute yeah. zero. And to be honest, they usually have off flavors and taste. Now, not all of them. I'm just you know, there's a few out there. I mean, Taras are doing a decent job with their ones, but I think that this is better. Now, it also costs a little bit more because it's a more more expensive process. It's okay. about eleven euro, eleven twelve euro, eleven fifty to. I've seen it eleven twenty five. I've seen it eleven ninety five. It's independent wine shops, um, so it's Einswei Zero. Any which you remember, you're German. Um, the reason he's called it that is because he has a, his standard riesling is Einswei by dry to get away Uh, from the fact that German wines could be considered sweet. So then he for his non-alcohol or de-alcoholised version he called it Einstein Zero um, so uh, where uh, so I have a list here Fresh Donnybrook Fair Vintry Redmond's Worldwide Wines O'Donovan's in Cork JJ Driscoll's in Cork Matson's in Cork it's um, very nice it's, yeah. isn't it like, it's yeah, really have you, had a, have you tasted it Paul yeah it's beautiful a little you like bit of wine? spritz a mm-hmm. little bit of red um, the grape we're not when sure when you say a little bit of spritz do you mean that it's a, a little, little bit sparkly yeah a little bit sparkly yeah. that's what I kind of love about it as well I'm a, I'm a I mean, Prosecco fan I know that's so bland no, no, and basic Prosecco is great it's much less than Prosecco though isn't it there's much 
less bubbles. Yeah. Far fewer. Th- there is a full face version of this, which is interesting too, but I couldn't get a bottle of that today. Um, that's about 14 euros. Um, but also zero. Good. Also zero. And cool. there's a dry Riesling version as well, which I was going to bring, but then I thought, no, I'll bring a rosé and I'll bring a, a, an actual alcohol Riesling, which I'm afraid you won't be able to drink. Okay. But. So this is a... This is a... De-alcoholised... Um, rosé. Rosé wine made with uh, Pinot Noir and some other grapes. They're not What clear. makes something a rosé? Oh, uh, it is uh, the red grapes. You use red grapes and yeah. the skins of red grapes. If you leave them to sit in the juice for a bit, they give colour. If you leave them to sit for a long time, you get red wine. But if you leave them to sit just for a few hours, you get rosé, basically. Oh, so depending on how that. long you want to do. There is another way where you mix a little bit of red and white, but that's not usually used for a standard wine. Um, champagne does a bit of that because that gets a second fermentation in the bottle. Um, and they, they just add a little bit of red just to kind of colour it slightly. Right, but okay. it, traditionally, it's the, the Sanier method, the bleeding method. So that you basically bleed out some colour from the skins into the into the juice. And How? is the frizzante is because I'm I'm a basic B when it comes to this. Sure. Is frizzante just the more fizzy version of because it tastes different? Like you see bottles of prosecco and there'll be frizzante and then they're like the spumante. Just, so yes. very quickly, I'll explain how how that works. Um, in champagne, when you're making wine, it's very easy. You add yeast, or yeast is in the air and it attacks the sugars, eats the sugars, and creates alcohol and a byproduct which is carbon dioxide. It's why homebrew explodes. Um, and so if you capture that stuff then basically you've got a naturally fizzy wine and that's what champagne does they make a still wine they then blend a few different ones and they add sugar and yeast the yeast eats the sugar it's trapped in the bottle uh, actually under a beer cap traditionally and then they basically that creates fizz but it also gives a lot of yeasty character flavours which not everyone likes Um, Prosecco is made in a massive tank under pressure and then bottle straight from the tank into a bottle. So much, much cheaper to do. So like a soda stream? Yes. Well, no, it's not, it's not pumped in. A soda stream pumps it in. In fact, you can get that. You can okay. get versions the bicycle, pump bicyclette method, we call it. The, when you literally just pump in. And can you fizz. taste the difference? Yeah, but you get much larger bubbles um, right. and you get much larger bubbles with, with uh, Prosecco. But the, the two sides of Prosecco and the, the reason we have ridiculously high alcohol taxes. We are double the price of anybody else in Europe, like literally. Um, our standard um, tax on wine is then doubled for sparkling because it's considered luxury. We did this back in the 70s and once the tax goes on it never comes off. We are way, way, way out in front as the highest, most expensive place to buy sparkling wine in Europe. Um, like way high, like double the price of Finland, you know. Um, but that's why we drink a lot of spumante, or frizzante Prosecco. Frizzante Prosecco is technically a still wine even though it's fizzy because to decide what was fizzy they had to write down the level of pressure in the bottle. And so Frizzante Prosecco is not fizzy enough to be considered sparkling. So we drink, is. And so we drink more of that than other countries because, because it's cheaper. Because, but because it's 10 euro or 8 euros as opposed to right. 17 to 20 euros, which is what Spumante costs, because you've got to factor in the extra 350 tax that goes in the bottle. See, wine is 350 if there's alcohol in it, right? And then if it's sparkling, it's literally 770 or something like this. Um, that, just that, because of the just pressure? Just because it's fizz. It was. I think it was a thing in the seventies. They thought, well, we'll tax. So, what what luxury can we tax that won't affect most people? And they thought, well, champagne. Just only rich people drink that. We'll tax that. And so they decided smartly. I think they got the idea from England because there's a slightly higher tax in England, another twenty percent, ten, fifteen percent, or something on sparkling than on regular wine. And the Irish thought, oh, that's a good idea. Let's double it. Well, let's not get into a discussion about minimum unit pricing, but we have some texts in here that you might be able to help people. Sure. I love the taste of a particular non-alcoholic wine. Is there a way to re-boozify wine? I'm just not a <laughs> fan of most wines, bar this non-alcoholic uh, yeah, wine. Absolutely, just throw a shot of vodka into it. Uh. I know, come on. <laughs> well, no, you, that's Would the you not taste it? it? Well, you might, but vodka's relatively neutral. Put in something nice, like... Um, I mean, there are wine cocktails, so why not just make a wine cocktail with it? Um, you know, but like, if you like the taste of it... Sorry, now, I have to... to if 
if you like the taste yeah. of a non-alcoholic wine, why do you need the booze? I, yeah. I mean, well, look, it does have the power to banish care. What are you running away from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the problem? We have another text from Claudia that says, does Leslie know any nice summery cocktails I can make with rum that is not a mojito? I'm sick of those, but I love rum. Uh, now, good question. Um, there's loads. It's rum punch. I mean, a rum punch is classic. Um, I, Google rum punch, you'll find that. It's a lighter version. Um, there is, um, I mean, mojito's the obvious one, but there's loads of them. If she just Googles it, I am off the top of my head. I'm not, a, I mean, I do write about cocktails occasionally. Um, let me try and think. Um, we'll let you Google it and, yeah. <laughs> and then you can answer Actually, yeah, let me come back to that because there's a few that I have made that I like um, and off the top of my head I can't think what they are that's fine I'll it, come back to you after the break and you can answer Paul it's harder to find it's harder to get it's kind of like when you bake with a baking book it's harder to find and find all the ingredients that's I, I'm always like oh god but I haven't got a shot of grenadine or a shot of this that it's true. and it's harder to get yeah. in, in supermarkets and modern cocktail recipes include all kinds of ridiculous things that you exactly can't get that. anywhere yeah, we're exactly. all going to wait on the edge of our seats for uh, Leslie to find the answer <laughs> to this and we're going to go to an ad break and when we come back we're going to talk about our first movie Nope what did you see? Hmm? that was big how big? big what did it look like? oh no It was fast, too fast, too quiet to be a plane. OJ, are you saying what I think you're saying? Welcome back to Movies and Booze on the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Stephanie Preisner in for Sean and joining me for Movies and Booze is Esther McCarthy, Leslie Williams and Paul Ryder. Esther, that was a clip from Jordan Peele's Nope. I'm about to see, I'm watching this tomorrow. I have tickets booked, so please don't ruin it on me. But tell me what it is about. It's one of those, like, you, the less you know going into a Jordan Peele movie, the better. So I'm going to be very careful how I navigate this. And also I'm saying, Stephanie, I, I look forward to yakking with you about it down the line because I have a good instinct about who I'd send to watch. You know, you get to to know what people love over the years. And this is one of those films that I really have no idea, even with people I know really well, how they're going to respond to it. It's a very kind of divisive film in the best possible way now, I mean. Um, And I, yeah, I look forward to having arguments about it. What are people's criticisms of it? Like, is it people saying like, oh God, that was stupid or that was so improbable or that was too scary, too violent? I think, well, first of all, I've read nothing um, because I wanted to, I only saw it this morning um, and I wanted to go into it clean, but I know it has um, divided critics in terms of where the story goes, I think, which with Jordan Peele is always, you know, that's what's so interesting about him as a filmmaker. I mean, I I remember coming out watching, after watching Get Out and thinking, yeah, that was great. And then reading all of these you know, undertones and interpretations from other writers about what they thought the film was about and going, jeepers, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, which (laughs) is totally valid. Like, you're allowed to just watch a movie and enjoy it for its own sake. Can you give us a little bit of the plot or Yeah, this is, so the brilliant Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, is there there a better British actor working at the moment, is is back again with Peel, um, joined by US actress Kiki Palmer. They're great as um, their two siblings, OJ and M. Haywood. So they've recently lost their father in this kind of freak accident, which we learn more about later in the film. And they're dealing with it in very different ways. He's become quite withdrawn and she is kind of trying to embrace life. 
uh, they have a history that's steeped in Hollywood because their father was a very successful jockey and horse wrangler who worked on film sets with horses. Um, and they've inherited this ranch in California um, and have built up the reputation of the ranch. Um, so it's kind of the go-to resource for Hollywood's film industry, which becomes very interesting in backstory later on. Um, so they kind of work with the animals as well. Um, but OJ's kind of thinking of selling up. He's a bit bored. And then one night he is out at the ranch. And of course, the horse twigs first, Stephanie. The horse name is is Ghost. And uh, he you know, starts freaking out. And uh, there is this unexplained sighting in the distance of lights. Um, and he's questioning his own eyes, as are the viewers, actually. One of, of Jordan Peele's great tricks is they're, you're, they're, they're going, what is he seeing? I can't quite see it either. Um, and that's followed by other stranger things, including this large cloud in the skyline that seems to remain unchanged. Um, the note of the film's title refers to the response of people when they see something supernatural that they cannot compute and is just too terrifying to com- com- contemplate. Uh-huh. So they just go, nope. nope. <laughs> I've been doing that a bit the last couple of years. I don't know if you have one. <laughs> yeah, um, just another so piece used- of news will come in and I'm like, nope, absolutely nope. not. Nope. Um, and that's kind of fun, actually. It's not overused either, crucially, and it it gives the film that great sass that um, that Jordan Peele's films have. And there's, yeah, I don't want to say too much more than that. They decide that there could be, you know, you know, the US. There's a whole market there for um, unidentified flying object sightings. There's a whole media around it. Yeah, and uh, they decide they're going to exploit that by trying to get. The Oprah shot, as they call it, um, and sell it to the Oprah Winfrey show and make a few bob and sell on their business. That's the plan. So, uh, but they So you off. don't know who exactly to recommend this movie to, right? But if you yeah. liked previous Jordan Peele movies, does that mean that this one is for you? Or is there anything equivocal that like, well, if you like this, you'll probably like that? I mean, it's it, the premise is crazy. And that's before you meet the chimp. I will say no more than that. The chimp. Um, there's heard. a chimp. Wow. OK. <laughs> Is it is it is it as good as his previous offerings? Because you know this Get Out Can- Candyman was reefed by the press as well, which I loved. But it, it I didn't had a, love it. Yeah. No, Did you thought, not like it? No, I thought it was tedious beyond belief. Did you? Yeah. Well, for, compared to Get Out and, and Us, I think it will be definitely the same fan base. Um, I think, and I will look forward to differing with people on this, but I think it's it's a it's take acceptable more on its premise. Like you said, Stephanie, you can enjoy a film for what it is rather than the undertones of it. And I think it does that bigger maybe than his other films. You can go in and enjoy this as a summer alien invasion blockbuster, even if you're not a Jordan Peele fan. And that Uh, is welcome news to me because I sometimes do find that when he gets very woke and very sort of like... I'm sending a message with this movie. It Candyman. can be kind of intimidating. Candyman right? was very much that that like I'm sending a message, and it was very direct and very pointed and stuff like that. But as Esther just said, there I kind of enjoy. It's only when you read critics after you kind of go, oh, I get what you're saying. But I love just the fact of when people can just enjoy a film mm. and just enjoy it for what it is. It's ninety to you know whatever amount of time, just enjoying. It. It's like Scream. Your, your listener yeah. was talking about Scream there. I just the enjoyed it. To kill. The, yeah, don't say that now. God, you get me in trouble. <laughs> it, I enjoyed it for what it was. It was iconic yeah. and I feel like if we get too much in the undertone of the message you can kind of ruin 
enjoying a film which is obviously really infuriating for people who are activists uh, uh, but, <laughs> but, no but I mean no, no not, not even that but I just mean even mean like as in like talking about Scream you know from that yes. point of view but if there's a message and there's a message you're sending at home yeah and I know that's film critic's job I'm not a film critic I want to just enjoy what I'm watching I suppose Esther did you have a final I on that? I will say yeah no I will say I'm not okay I am scaredy cat in real life okay but I'm not as easily scared in movies because I'm kind of I've watched enough of them now I know all the trickery I know you know what's coming I can get I, yeah. it's, it's very hard to shock me um, and this had me jumping a few times Ooh. it's very very good filmmaking he's got all those tricks in his arsenal with the sound the lighting the production design and that brilliant brilliant thing that not enough filmmakers do is the ability to keep an audience guessing okay. um, and I think that's what I liked most about it now it's, I'm uh, quite looking forward to it I love when I go to the cinema and my favorite Bit watch thinks I'm exercising. <laughs> that is always a good metric of a good film. Paul, um, quickly tell us about speaking of wokeness. Phoebe from Friends has come out with a statement. She's come out and said uh, she's kind of weighed in on this this uh, conversation about the lack of diversity that was in Friends, which is obviously a massive show created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman. Um, she's kind of said, look, they wrote they wrote a show about their lives and they had never had experiences with, with people of colour. Now, obviously, Friends has ended. They've had their reunion. But Lisa kind of recently said, I feel like it was a show created by two people who went and wrote about their lives after college. And for shows, especially when it's going to be a comedy that's character driven, you write about what you know. Now, Marta Kaufman has come out and said, I wish I knew then what I know now mm-hmm. because she has said there was a lack of diversity um, you know you've there's, there's kind of been all different angles of this the actor who played Ross Geller uh, David Trimmer he's come out and said I did try and champion obviously David Trimmer he directed several of the episodes of Friends especially in the latter part of he did Black of Girlfriend for a season didn't he as well yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. He, he, and this is what he said it was mm. that they wanted her to kind of stick with the series and, and not just kind of be in once or twice he said he had an Asian American girlfriend first mm-hmm. which was Julie Julie mm. which was a part of the part of the whole story but they just kind of said that look there wasn't enough you know, it was full lead. It wouldn't happen now. You wouldn't see a it full lead white cast. And I do think cast. that there is a responsibility there for them to, like, yes, okay, Marta Kaufman is writing about her own experience, but, like, there were numerous writers across that, like, 10 series of that show. You can also, like, did, were, was it spe- specified in the script, like, this is a white person? Could mm. casting have brought in some more diversity? You know, but I do think that we're looking at it with 2022 eyes. We are looking at 2022 eyes, and it was a very, very different time back then. And, you know, what I, what I enjoy about reading this piece is that people who are trying to right their wrongs from from time gone by and obviously we are in 2022 and we're changing and everything's moving and like she's donated what did she donate four million um, to it's a it's a thing called 78 professors, professorship in African and American uh, studies mm-hmm. so people are trying to make it and she said now that she knows with her new shows and stuff like that they are trying to make sure that there's uh, people of uh, different diversities inclusions across every avenue of the make well that's that's mm. that's positive Leslie uh, Claude is at the edge of her seat looking for your Rome <laughs> recommendations before okay. we go to a break so the, well I mean it's, it's a little bit I forgot because it's a Cuba Libre is the obvious one which is rum and coke with a bit of lime juice you know right. um, one at a rum sour this is not one I found which is one I've, I've tried myself where basically you shake rum with lemon juice lime juice or citrus juice of your choice and some sugar syrup and you get a frothy thing and it, it definitely works with rum it's more typically done with say um, whiskey or vodka or pochin um, but it actually works with rum there's Mai Tai we forgot about the Mai Tai and um, that's a bit more you've got to get orangey out for that which is not so available but there's a daiquiri 
my friend Leslie, who's also called Leslie, um, just texted me there saying, the strawberry daiquiri, the strawberry daiquiri. The strawberry daiquiri yeah, is rum, is it? There's also this classic daiquiri, which I think is a bit, is a bit lime. Um, there is, um, I mean, a bit dark and stormy, which is just uh, rum and ginger. Rum and uh, good quality um, alcoholic ginger is probably your best. Fentimans in particular, I like. Or just regular ginger beer, you know. That's yeah. loads for her. She'll yeah. be on her ear if she tries all of them. <laughs> and if she wants to buy a good cocktail book, very quickly, my favourite at the moment, the one I've been really using most this last year, is Adrian Stillman's cocktail book, published by Fadon, uh, American uh, writer, but it's it's well written, it's comprehensive, it's good. Um, I don't like a lot of the commercial ones, which are just advertising vehicles for you know. Sure, why would she need to go and buy a book when she can text in on five three one six to your <laughs> lovely self, and you'll go and do all the work for her? You are listening to the Moncrief Show. More movies, more wine, and more news coming up after this quick break. I know you're all dying to hear about the next booze, the next movie, and the news, but let's see if somebody won the cash machine. News Talks Summer Cash Machine. Hey, this is Barry Dunn. It is time to make this afternoon's Summer Cash Machine call. This is the one that everybody's talking about. We've had four consecutive rollovers. We've had four people who have missed out this week, and that has led us to this moment. Surely we're going to get a winner this afternoon. Let's hope so. It's a life-changing amount of cash up for grabs right now. So if we're phoning you right now, get that cash amount ready. We'll need to know today's winning total. And you'll have to answer your phone within five rings. One ring. Two rings. Three rings. Four rings. Five rings. (laughs) Somebody out there, whoever that was, will spend this weekend wondering, could that possibly have been the cash machine call and it was we were getting set to pay out 55,498 euro and 7 cent but it looks like we're going to be paying out more than that come this Monday afternoon it also means if you've entered since last Friday that would be August 5th at 5pm you'll still be in our next draw but you will need the correct cash total listen to the hard shoulder just after 5 get the new cash amount and we could be calling you Monday afternoon News Talks Summer Cash Machine I'm not even entertaining it. I'm sick of people not answering their phones. <laughs> I am going to read out some text messages here. Um, so, rum just with lime, slices of, squeezed in and ice. Delicious. If that's too much for you, Cloda, a little Coke. Add more Coke if it's too strong. This is from a whiskey drinker who only has a drop of water with said whiskey. Someone else, has, Dan in Cork, has texted in to say, if people widely, widely understood how much of what they spend on alcohol is tax... And from their income net of tax, there would be a revolution. But there, maybe, I don't know. Um, then we have, oh, we have a, a question for you, Leslie. Mm-hmm. Can you suggest a lovely Alberino? I'm doing oh, okay. a shop after work and I might pick up a bottle or two. Okay, well, no, um, literally any shop she goes into will have two, if not five. Uh, we are the fourth largest drinker of drinkers of Alberino from... Spices, which is where it originally comes what from. What is Albarino? So Albarino is a grape and it's it traditionally, it is originally from North Portugal, Southern Galicia. The Riaspaixas is the most famous place, but we are literally the fourth biggest importer by volume of Albarino in the world. We are mad into it. There's versions from France, so Dunn's of a nice one, Laurent Mikel, um, which is made in, in the Languedoc. That was the first one from France. There's a couple from down south and so on, but really I think she should stick with um with Albarino from Ria Spicious, okay? And she can spend, I mean, it depends on where she's going. I mean, Super Value, a decent one, Al- Al- Bello, it's about fifteen ninety five. 
Sometimes reduced to 11, though. Maybe wait till it gets reduced. There is, uh, I love Lolo. It's a lovely bright blue label. There's an Alvarinho, um, which is the Portuguese name for the same grape, um, uh, which you'll find around as well, but sometimes a little cheaper as well. Any good independent will have that. I mean, honestly, there is, I, I can't think of a bad Alvarinho. Best one I know is um, Terras Gaudas. Uh, you get that in Corkscrew and a few independents. That's about 22. That's outstanding and can age and is really, really interesting. It smells of peaches, right? But then when you taste it, it's got texture and weight and then it finishes salty, really dry. It's really That's interesting. That's a long journey to go on with a mouthful of wine, It's isn't really it? good. Tell us about this Riesling. Okay, so um, this Riesling is from the world's greatest Riesling vineyard, which is the Moselle. The Moselle In your opinion, or is this actually I known? I think it's pretty much, we would oh, accept right, okay. this, that the Moselle is the best place to go. The slopes are 45 degree angles. I mean, you literally have to tie a rope to yourself if you're trying to pick pick, pick grapes or do any work in the vineyard oh, wow. because they're, they're literally slanting down into the river. The vines are on slate soils, but also some other things as well. But the slate seems to be the best for them. Um, you get a reflection from the river coming back up onto the vines which helps ripen them as well you're quite far north it's probably I think it is the furthest north of any quality vineyard I don't count the English vineyards in that Um, but in terms of quality grape growing region the Moselle is the best they are they can be extraordinary. And even when they're slightly sweet, they're never sweet enough. They're never never actually sweet. They're, they, they taste initially sweet, but then they're immediately dry. They're literally on the knife edge and it's such a satisfying drink. Don't people say like, isn't there a common misconception that Riesling equals sweet? Yeah. And that, and it, it, there was a time back in the 70s when a lot of the Rieslings we were drinking were sweet. And yes, Riesling can be sweet, but so can Chardonnay, so can any grape, so can Muscat, so can... The, the key with German wine is to look for the word trocken in the bottle. This is from a really good producer, Fritz Haag, H-A-A-G. He's from the Moselle and they've been doing it since 1605. The family have been making wines in the same place since 1605. He's relatively small, to need a 20 hectare vineyard, um, but they have some really nice sites. Um, this is 22 or so, Independence, uh, Vintry. Uh, I have a list of places. Um, it's sort of all sort of good Independence. So the likes of Redmond's, um, the likes of um, so Vintry and Rascar, I think, where else? Um, just a and Port Marnock, I think, have it. Um, Paul, but, um, you're sipping away what there. Do you think, what do you reckon? Yeah, there's, there's a good after kick to that as well. You don't yeah. get, and you don't. Normally, I would get the, the the kick of a wine from a smell, whereas that you kind of taste it, and then there's a there's almost a rush. Yeah. There. Does it taste dry? Yeah, yeah, I would it say is dry. it is no, dry. It is dry. It's rocking. I mean, there might be one or two grams of residual sugar, but very little. I'll just read out the names of the places: so Black Rock Cellar, Clontarf Wines, Just a Vine, McHugh's, Nectar Wines, Vintry, Wine Pair, uh, Sweeney's, Corkscrew, Devonies, D6. I'm afraid this is very Dublin centred. Anyway, um, so I, let me read out the tasting note where I got. For the, which I wrote for this the last time. Um, I'm going to smell it while you're doing that. Okay, so what I said was... Um, nah, I mean, it, it smells here? of wine. I, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> 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 it smells quite similar to the one that had no alcohol in it. Um, okay, so I got all kinds of sort of um, citrus, apple, peaches almost. Mm-hmm. And then on the palate, I got kind of all kinds of layers of stuff as well. Um, but um, look, I, Riesling is not to everyone's taste. Some of them will smell a little bit of petrol. Um, and that is a characteristic. Um, Since my childhood, I have loved standing next to the petrol pump and just being like, <laughs> yeah, mm. same as yeah. Um, so now, what did I actually say about this? Let me uh, read that, my tasting note, which would be so. This is a natural note that I wrote when I was writing about this the last time. So um, I said that it is. Um, no, I can't find it. I give up. It's absolutely fine. Matter. Anyway, so it's uh, fragrant, elegant, ripe, but dry. And Riesling is usually dry. Fritz and Hack. some people, just like we talked about in the movies, some people will just drink the wine and be like, you know what, I like the taste of yeah. that. And yeah, that's okay. Maybe, to I'm too vacuous. maybe I'm too vacuous to have an opinion on movies or wine. <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> let's let's uh, take a clip from our next movie. She was very brave. How do you stay so strong? 
We are team. We are help each other, and our coach help us. Coach. ผมต้องขอโทษด้วยนะครับที่พาเด็กมาเสี่ยงอันตรายไม่จริงครับไม่ได้ครับขอโทษครับที่ผมขอโทษด้วยหนูขอโทษขอโทษเกณฑ์ที่สุดครับอ it's because of our coach we are stay strong he teach us to meditate คนบอกให้เราสนุกครับ and we pray we pray yes I bet you do alright so what we're listening there is a clip of 13 lives of which is about the story of the children who got stuck in the cave in Thailand and so some of it is in Thai which is why you may not have understood that clip uh, tell us about the movie Esther I absolutely loved this and I was a bit worried because it's the kind of film that in the wrong hands can scream Oscar baiting it's you know it goes yeah, yeah. it's get so earnest and so inspirational you can almost hear the John Williams score swishing in the background but Ron Howard hasn't done that at all he's made this a procedural which was a brilliant idea actually and again what I loved about it is that two aided and abetted by a very strong Thai cast actually and the film is respectful to the fact that this is a Thai story you know uh, but we do have a great three-hander from Colin Farrell Viggo Mortensen and Joe Ledgerton who are these um, How did Colin these- Farrell end up in this? Like it's he's brilliant in it as well first of all he's having quite a year um, with the Batman and with um, the Banshees of Inshirin, which I'm hearing great things about coming in in October. Uh, but he's really, really good in this. He's playing this real life caver. He's uh, a guy by the name of John Volanton. And when he's not rescuing people from caves all over the world, he works in IT. Uh, so he's Colin kind of harnesses the blokiness of this character and just makes them their blokes. They're these lads. Viggo Mortensen does it as well. You know, in the initial phone call from from Colin Farrell's character. Viggo Martin says, oh, I don't know if I want to travel. I don't even like kids. <laughs> um, but that's what these people do. They save lives. And the logistics of the second hour in particular, like there were four kilometres inside the cave mouths, um, flooded chambers. The, the biggest scene in the film is about 30 minutes in when they realise that the boys are all alive and they're going, how the hell are we going to get them out? Because they they were absolutely convinced they were, they were recovering bodies. And it's presented them with a huge logistical risk. I mean, what they did was mad. It, you know, it's referred to as illegal and immoral by one of the characters in the film. They, like, basically injected horse tranquilizer ketamine into the kids so that they could pass them through the chambers like packages. Um, a really risky move. You know, they came out of it heroes, but the film really anchors you in the fact that if, if they got this wrong and there was every chance they would, that it was going to be an absolute disaster and, and the, the courage I suppose they had. And there's one scene as well between Viggo Mortensen and, Far- and Farrell who are so good together in this where they get the first boy out and they go, you know, what's ha- going to happen now? Every, you know, everyone we don't get out from now on is a failure. We, we've had our success and I think it's really brilliantly done at this one. It's one of my favourites of the year actually. Where can um, people see it if they want it's, to? It's sitting there and I think we've been talking about you know making the most of our subscriptions um, and, and bills and stuff like that. It, I think a lot of people don't know what's sitting under their noses sometimes. I don't think the, um, the, the servers promote their films well enough but it's sitting there on your Prime Video if, you're, uh, if you have an Amazon account you'll have Prime Video and it's there from, uh, it's already on, on actually it launched this week it's really great I loved this one I have to say Is it a long movie? Because it sounds really tense and drawn out It is yeah I mean it's 2.15 but it 
earns the right to be. Yes. I think it, does, it doesn't feel wasted. It doesn't be flabby. I think it's it's the fact that it's Ron, Ron Howard telling you a story you think you know. Um, and, and he has previous in this, of course, because he brought us Apollo 13 mm-hmm. many years ago with Tom Hanks. And we all knew they got home, but we were still going. When he hit the water, we were like biting our nails. Same you know? as so he's very good at this. We all know exactly. what's going to happen, but we still want to watch it. OK, that's definitely yeah. what I'm going to watch. Paul, you're going to... Uh close us out with our final showbiz story. Yeah, it's a bit of a doozy here with this one. Obviously, um, Anne Hash, actress, you know, I know what you did last summer. You've got Six Days, Seven Nights, Return to Paradise. Last Friday was in a car accident. Where? Um, in America. Right. Fueled yeah. by cocaine. Um, oh, the videos, wow. the, the videos were quite harrowing as you kind of see her speed down what looked like a suburban street. And then was that sh- this crash that happened on La Brea with yes. all of the cars? No. No, no, no. Sorry. Anyway. No, no, no. And it, there's two videos. One is Anne Hesch just speeding a Mini Cooper down what looks like a suburban street. And then she obviously veered the car, which then crashed into somebody's residential home. Okay. Day um, or night? Day. Morning. Okay. Uh, apparently fueled by cocaine. The weirdest bit of it was when it broke on kind of Saturday morning was there was clips of, you know, the 59 firefighters it took to kind of quash the fire that had caused this. But as she was being carted out from in the ambulance gurney, she kind of was trying to get up and out of the gurney. Oh, wow. It's recently come out in the last 24 hours that it doesn't look like she's actually going to survive this because of a brain injury. Um, and another story is kind of broke about a Lifetime film uh, called Girl in Room 13, which she has starred in and had a big had a big part in. Obviously, we know Lifetime is the, you know, they bring out the some cheesy, some kind of, you know, you kind of the get hooked of to them. Hallmark movies. Hallmark films, yeah. yeah so the, she had this film, which was supposed to be coming out soon, and Lifetime have come out and said, you know, she'd want this film to see the light of day and stuff like that. No word from family or friends or anything like that. They're trying to pull different sources. Ellen DeGeneres had a comment kind of recently kind of saying, oh, we don't speak when, when she was asked about did she speak to her? Obviously, Ellen's her ex-girlfriend. Okay. Um, and they kind of said to her, look, have you spoken to her? She, or have you spoken to the family? Have you any comments? She said, no, we haven't spoken in years. It's been it's been so long. Um, it's, it's a horrific story. Apparently, the person who was in the house at the time as well, she's kind of suffering a lot of injuries and is, is in hospital as well. It's just so sad because obviously she suffered with mental health for many, many years. And this is the culmination of that. This is the culmination of a really, really bad experience in her life. Um, and it's 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 just harrowing. I don't know if you've if you've seen the videos, just to see the car just speed down. I just don't understand why those videos are online in the first instance. Like, and I only for anyone. I only saw it because American News were breaking it, and they were the ones showing showing these videos and showing kind Which, of her. Yeah, they're vultures. Like, they're yeah. vultures, but showing her trying to get out of the gurney and stuff like that. It's just for for family and friends to kind of have to see that and stuff. And Anna Hesh had a massive career, you know, Psycho, all these iconic films that she was a part of. Um, just didn't and get then the help. Lifetime, there is that question, isn't it, where it's like, it's what she would have wanted. That's always a bit like, is it though? I wasn't really going to say it on air, but I'm kind of thinking, are you just doing that because you've made a film and you want to release it now? That's, yeah, that's I mean, we don't have all the information. And you're get loads of publicity for it because... Exactly. Now, like you said, allegedly, we have to say that, obviously, but it just feels a bit weird. Yeah, and so on that um, bright note, on this lovely Friday afternoon, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much to Esther McCartney, Leslie Williams and Paul Ryder for Movies and Booze. And that's it for the show. Thanks to the team, Simon Tierney, Sinead Kyo, Claire Collins and Michael Quilligan. Kieran is up next on The Hard Shoulder. Have a great weekend. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.